welcome to Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions. And uh, let's make sure that we have... Yeah, it looks like we're good. All right. Hey, everybody. Sunday lives. Yep, sounds like we're uh, coming across just fine. So welcome to this critical Q&A live stream. Hey, Steve. <laughs> Glad you're here. Um, this is critical Q&A number 290. And as you can see, I am here by myself this week. Um, my wonderful wife, Melissa, cannot join us today. She is otherwise occupied. However, we may possibly have a <clears throat> um, random um, appearance from Seven the Wonder Cat. We will see if uh, if he comes around. And yes, of course, always. <laughs> All right. I hope you guys. Uh, good morning, everybody. Hey, Alex. Hello from Spain. Um, hey to you guys. Awesome. Um, and England. Excellent. All my good friends are here. Uh, okay, so let's see. I wanted to promote the podcast I put up this week. I think you guys are going to be a little interested in it. Actually, we've been getting, I was a little surprised by just the overwhelming amount of positive feedback on it. Actually, I did an interview with a man named Shane Rybacki, who was a former Scientologist, had a little tiny stint in the Sea Org, little bit of a stint in working for the Office of Special Affairs at the Orange County uh, Church of Scientology, and had some pretty interesting stories and things to relate to us. So if you haven't seen that podcast, I highly recommend checking that out, because um, there was some good stuff there this week. So yes, please do uh, check that out. All right. So well, this is a Q&A show, and I see questions already coming in, which is great. So let's go ahead and start getting to them. I will be pulling them from the chat box as I go. If I miss one of your questions, um, please go ahead and put it back in the chat. Uh, if it looks like I'm missing it for some reason, I will be going back and forth in them here to get to them. And, of course, if you throw me a super chat, then that will go to the top of the question queue. All right. First question of the morning here is, um, uh, what are similarities? Raymond van der Stelt asks, what are similarities between MLM cults and Scientology? And that similarity, of course, is like all, I mean, first off, we can bring in the generalities of what are, what make all these cults cults, right? And Scientology and MLMs, man, these guys really draw from each other in a really interesting way. Going back to, you have multi-level marketing schemes, right, which are business enterprises that purport to give you an entry into a pyramid where you're going to climb that pyramid of, of income and you're going to become rich and you're going to become wealthy and influential and powerful. And this uh, is a complete setup. The math on it never, ever works. And I have done the deep dive on the math on this. I This is not a, just something I'm tossing off. MLMs are cults. They use cult indoctrinate they use cult uh, recruitment techniques in that there is undue influence there or sorry um there is a lack of uh informed consent as to what you're getting into right they're lying to you right from word one uh, in terms of how the mlm structure works how the commission systems work how the math works it it, it doesn't but they have a whole series of, of thought-stopping cliches to use to, to draw you in, push your personal emotional buttons to get you involved, and um, usually are preying on people who are already having financial difficulties or are strapped in some fashion and uh, end up getting into um, – uh, you know, into this desperate situation where they think the MLM is the is the solution to the problem, and then there are cult retention techniques. Uh, one, you know, the, you have the uh, sunk cost fallacy, of course, like with any of these groups, but you also have active measures taken to disconnect you or shun you. To, um, if, I mean, if it gets bad, but first they're gonna um, be pushing your buttons. They're gonna be lying to you again about why you shouldn't leave or why you shouldn't drop it or why success is just around the corner and more importantly how it's your fault if it's not working that's crucial as a real key point of how mlms keep you is they keep 
pushing your buttons for success and how it's it's almost gaslighting you on how I mean it's not but it is kind of the same sort of spirit of thing in that they're they keep uh, convincing you that that if the system's not working because the system can't work but if it, it if it's not working it's because you're not working hard enough you're not putting in the hours your attitude is off etc okay so um so let's get that in there. Uh, okay, let's go back on up the line. And will Scientology actually take you to court for a freeloader's desk, uh, debt? The Bee's Nest Films asks. Uh, no, 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 no. No one's ever gone to court over a freeloader debt. Uh, the uh, leverage that Scientology holds over its former staff and Sea Org members, one of the points of leverage is a freeloader debt, where you now, if you leave the church's employment without fulfilling the contract, then uh, you owe for the services you received for free while you were a staff member or a Sea Org member. That's called a freeloader debt. And um, the, the leverage is that you cannot do any more Scientology until you pay that debt. So it's an internal leverage. It's not a legal one. Um, okay, TJ Feeney asks, how am I today? Are you having a nice day? Yes, so far I am. Thank you very much for that. Uh, it's actually been a really nice weekend. Yesterday, uh, Mel and I took the day and we did a Batman marathon and we did uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman series, the trilogy, um, from beginning all the way through, boom, 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 and had a great day. It was a lot of fun, ordered in, and uh, and the, the fun from that is simply carrying over from today. Today's going to be, a, after I'm done here, I'll be getting them on to my university studies all afternoon, and that'll be that'll be fun, so uh yeah all right um oh interesting okay nick raleigh asks is it true that training in auditing requires you to do demos quote unquote of every paragraph in book one how do you do demos on really abstract ideas okay so um no nick it's not true uh that you have to demo every paragraph of of book one. Now, book one is Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health. It was written in 1950. That is the first book of Dianetics and Scientology, which is why internally in the world of Scientology, they call it book one. Oh, Dianetics, book one. Okay, so um, so when you train to be an auditor, you have to read book one. You have to read lots of stuff. And, um, and you have to demonstrate principles and abstract principles. That's the whole, the whole key to demonstration is figuring out how to demonstrate abstract principles when they are not so physical. So what you could do is you could take, okay, let's just say I'm just taking random things. I'm just going to take a, the, these things as something to use for demo pieces because you can use anything. So here, let's, let's demonstrate love. So here's me, and here is uh, my wife, and uh, we are walking together, and uh, I look at her, like this is me flowing at uh, um, uh, perception, right, at her, and she's perceiving me right back, and from that perception comes admiration on her part and on my part. And so we have this, this love going between us. And isn't this a wonderful thing? And that is my completely lame demo of an abstract concept. <laughs> and I hope that helps. Usually you got little better demo pieces than a Coke can and cards. But uh, that's basically you just, you're just taking things and figuring out assignments for them that could be demonstrating different pieces and parts of the thing and show how they interrelate. And that's basically a demonstration. All right. Uh, let's see here. Can you have Jonathan Perry asks if I can have an interview with a shunned Amish person sometime? Sure. <laughs> you know, actually, the hardest thing for me to have to find so far, and if any of you guys want to help me out with this, I've I have pursued actively um, some former Muslims, former Islamic believers uh, on YouTube uh, to try to uh, do interviews or move into that space or arena and start talking about Islam. But I, I, I can't get anybody to agree to come on my show. It's actually a little, a little annoying. I've reached out to a few people. Yeah, we'll do it. Let's set something up. 
and then it never it never pans out. And uh, so I would love to uh, if you guys have any suggestions of people I should be reaching out to who might already be YouTube creators who might be interested in collaboration on the topic of cultic thinking and Islamic belief sets and uh, behavior. I'd be that'd be fun. I'd love to do that. And yes, I would love to also. Um, speak to a former Amish person uh, if they are around. I have never seen one out there putting themselves out there uh, that way, but I haven't done a whole lot of looking, to be honest, either. So I will be happy to do that. Uh, okay, Tim, let's see here. I thought I heard... Ah, NC, thank you very much for that super chat. A question both for you and for fellow listeners. Do you think the topic of cults that evolved into governments deserve coverage on this channel? Yes, absolutely, they do. And um, in fact, and I have done, uh, I believe, two podcasts covering the topic of North Korea uh, and the entire government structure there being uh, operating as a destructive cult of, of personality and authoritarian, you know, uh, rule over North Korea. I intend in the future, the far future, so no, no promises of anything soon here, but I do have an intention to get um, something put together in the future on China as well, and 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 maybe break down or look at how a government structure might be a, a, an actual destructive cult, the way we sort of think about or define those things. Um, okay, so there you go. And then Robert Roberts asks, thank you for the super chat, Robert. Um, have you tried to interview Armin and Arvin and Jasmine from Atheist Republic on YouTube? No, I have not. Um, I have to check that out. I'm not, uh, not, I've heard of Atheist Republic, but I don't know Ammon and Arvin and Jasmine. So no. Okay. Um, let me go back up the line here. Cause we had some other questions. All right. Hope I'm keeping up here at a decent pace. Yeah. We're 12 minutes in. I think we're doing all right. Um, next question. What is, okay, Tim asks, what is word clearing? Is it a paying job? Does a word clearer have an office? Are they on call? How's it work? Okay. A word clearer can be anybody who is sitting down across from somebody else to help them clear up or understand or sort out or clarify the definitions of words. So when you clear up a word, you're understanding, you're coming to an understanding, you're clearing up, clearing any confusions out of the way so that the word is understood. And there's a formal procedure in Scientology for this. It's not just a look up the word, use it in a few sentences and we're done. You actually walk through every, you first find the definition of the word as it's being used in the context in which you're trying to clear it up. And you find that definition first by going through the definitions, find it good. It's definition number four, four, let's say. So you read it, you make sure you understand it. You might read the definition out loud to the word clearer. And uh, then the word clearer says, okay, what does that mean in your own words? And the guy goes, oh, well, it means blah, 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 blah. Great. Give me a sentence using that word in that sense, in that definition. And so the guy goes, okay, well, blah, 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 word, right? And good, give me another sentence, another sentence, excuse me, until it's clear that the person understands and can easily use that word in that sense. Then you go to the next, the first definition, and you go through all the rest of the definitions and you do the same procedure, reading it, make clearing it, uh, saying what it means in your own words, and then using it in sentences. Once you've cleared all the definitions that way, you then clear up the uh, etymology, the derivation of the word. Where did it come from? You read that out loud to the word clearer, make sure you understand it. There's no symbols or weird stuff in there that you don't get. Like if it comes from Flemish, do you know what Flemish is? If it comes from Old Latin, do you know what Old Latin is, right? These kind of things. You want to clear that up. Clear up the etymology of the word, and then you clear up any usage notes or synonym studies or uh, idioms that the word might be a part of, and you clear those up same way, read it, what does it mean, use it in sentences, uh, or examples or whatever, clear, it, clear up those different instances or usages of it, and then the word is understood, and then you go back to the material where the word came from, reread the sentence it was in, tell the word clear what it means maybe, 
and get on with your study. There are nine other methods of word clearing. I won't get into all of them here. I've already broken them down on video. They are extensive. Uh, and the word clearer is trained to either use a meter or not. There's, mon there's metered word clearing that uses an e-meter and there is non-metered word clearing. But all of them are uh, intended to get you to read, understand the words, and therefore be able to read and understand the tune that the words put together is kind of how Hubbard described it. So I hope that clears that up. And yeah, they have an office usually. Usually they have a desk in the course room. For official word clearers who are actually, that's their job in the course room, they have a desk in the classroom, usually next to the supervisor. And um, you have word clearers in the public courses and you have word clearers in the major academy courses. Okay. So there we go with that. Uh... Enzo, at what stage of the bridge is the concept that you get sick or something? <laughs> okay, Enzo Cavallo asks, at what stage of the bridge is the concept that if you get sick or something bad happens to you introduced? I'm asking because I guess you need to be already brainwashed to accept BS like that. Um so I guess what you're saying is at what point is the inner, is the concept of personal responsibility for being sick or ill or having accidents or injuries introduced to you? And that can be introduced actually very early on. There is a course called um, the Ups and Downs in Life course, which is about, you know, having your ups and downs, having a roller coastery, you know, emotionally, uh, you know, tumultuous, I, I, what's the word, I guess, tumultuous uh, life, right? You're up, you're down, you're here, you're there. That supposedly comes from being connected to a suppressive or having a suppressive element in your life or influence, right? Somebody was pushing you down, keeping you down. And um, and there is some degree of truth to that, I suppose. I mean, it doesn't. it's no fun when you're in an abusive relationship or have people who are invalidating you or telling you how horrible or awful you are all the time or gaslighting you or, or whatever. So sure, let's get those elements out of your life. So that's kind of how it's introduced early on is it doesn't, it's does not presented to you as the, as this BS sort of thing. It's presented as, Hey man, you got, you got influencers, you got people influencing you in your life who are not good for you. You got toxic relationships. You got things you should, you know, maybe it's better if you call some of these people out of your existence, you know, maybe you'd have a better life. And, um, and the principle of how a suppressive can spiritually interbulate you, upset you, cause, stir you up, and how that can cause you to be out of focus, to lose your flow, to lose attention, to be, you know, caught up in the problems and, and turmoil of it so that you make mistakes. You're not fully there. You're not really on, you know, on track. So you are going to run into things. You might have accidents. You might even be predisposed to getting sick if it's stress-related or anxiety-related. And again, these has, this has actual roots in real truth. You know, people who have high stress and anxiety levels can be predisposed to, uh, can be more susceptible to uh, illness or flu or injury or something. So, um, so, so this is how it's sort of explained so that it does make sense. And it's not just like, oh, well, that's crazy. Because they take all that and they explain all that. And it sort of sounds all rational and reasonable. And then they push it just a little bit further and tell you, well, actually, <laughs> spiritually, you are fully responsible for your existence and all the things that happen to you. And they're not given to you again on day one. Okay. They'll they'll give you all the, you know, it's 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 baby steps, right? It's 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 spoon fed. Take a little bit in, you take a little bit in, you take a little bit in, and then it seems a lot more reasonable sounding that you would say, oh, yeah, well, I should be the one who's fully responsible for my life and all the things that happen to me because that puts me in the driver's seat and enables me to be cause in my life. And that way I can take control and I can be the boss and it opens the door to that possibility. See, if you accentuate the positive aspects of that, of that belief rather than the negative aspect of it, which is, you know, really how it's used when it becomes abusive. But if you if you first teach it, uh, emphasizing the positive, then the person only has that part in mind, and they don't see the negative connotations or consequences of that. 
Hope that explains that or helps with that. Okay, uh, let's see here. Hope you got a lot of money. <laughs> what do you recommend? Um, okay, Lisa Vanderhoven, would you recommend that people interested in high control groups read their publications, or do you think that is risky or at minimum a poor use of time? No, Lisa, I do recommend you check things out if you want to, if you're curious about things. Um, but, you know, uh, but be aware of what you're doing, right? Have your critical thinking hat on, right? Be objective. If you're reading things from a point of view of how can I utilize this to help me, whether you're already biased, right? You want to like, okay, no, no, step back. Look at what you remember, what you're reading. Remember what you're looking at when it comes to high control groups, right? And, uh, and study away. But realize also, of course, when you're reading publications, let's say from the Church of Scientology, they're putting their best foot forward in those publications. You're not going to get any negativity, any any real critical thinking about the subject matter they're trying to teach you about because they think it's just great and wonderful and, and stupendous and they're only going to be giving you all the, again, again, accentuating all the positives. And it'll be on you to think through the consequences and um, and corollaries of the information you're reading in their publications and going, okay, well, if they say that you're personally responsible for everything that happens to you and that puts you in the driver's seat, well, great, but how could they use that to abuse you, right? Oh, well, yeah, okay, you see how I mean. So anyway, just read it with a critical thinking hat on. Okay, let's see. Hey, Henny. Um, do you think it'll be easier for third and fourth gen to get out from within Scientology because of technology and independent growth? Um, yes, I think, I think it's easier now than ever before to get out of Scientology in terms of the amount of information and publications and resources that are out there to assist, uh, educate and assist people coming out. I mean, we even have the Aftermath Foundation now, which is something we never had in the past. So, um, so yeah, I think there's, I think now is definitely the best time for people who are looking to try to get out of these situations. Um, the bees nest asks, is it true they were making women in the Sea Org have abortions or was that just rumor? Uh, no, that was absolutely true. Uh, I was personally involved in that and I observed that with many, many others and you have heard the stories about it and they are all true. Uh, yeah, they absolutely do that. Uh, okay, let's see here. Only a few thousand. Okay, good. Alex, do you think people will leave the QAnon cult when Trump leaves? My feeling is most will stay in and just attempt to rationalize his loss, especially if he campaigns for 2024. I am actually very interested in the answer to that question. I am loath to predict what's going to happen because I'm actually, I don't know, and I want to find out. I know something's going to happen. I, if I had to predict, if I have to answer your question as far as, you know, what do I think will happen, I think there will be a drop-off. I think there will be something new uh, formulated. I think the mythology of the core of, of QAnon with Trump as the savior figure will be modified or changed in the same way that we see changes excuse me, made in the past historically to um, doomsday cults. When doomsday date comes and goes, you know, the cognitive dissonance, you know, whatever, how is this possible? Oh, well, you know, we, our actions prevented that whole thing from happening maybe. Um, but then you need a new goal or new game, a new mythology, right? Something else needs to take that place. So similarly with QAnon, um, they might come up with new dates, new events, new ideas, and try to keep the thing going. And I, I would imagine that's probably the direction it will go in. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. Okay. Um, let's keep going here. Nick, uh, do stop being codependently. A lot of people are abusive to me. I don't have a realization of any makeup for it. Okay, Nick Bravo comment. I stop being codependently loyal to people who were abusive to me. I keep having this delusion that they'll have a realization of their bad behavior and make up for it. Um, yeah. 
generally speaking, people who are who have an abusive nature, who are who have it in them to be narcissistic, abusive, you know, high control leader types are not going to have some big spiritual or great awakening. And if they do, they're usually using it to try to con you further. Um, these are incredibly manipulative people. And unfortunately, at this time, the best advice we have for that is to just call them out of your existence if you can. Um, now, when it's family, you don't really necessarily want to do that. Everything is context specific. We have to be super, super careful here when we're talking about this because you don't want to just drop people at the because they pissed you off one time. Remember that coercive control, and this is important. This is actually really important to remember when it comes to the question of, of calling such personalities out of your existence, okay? Remember that coercive control of the nature we're talking about is a repeating pattern of behavior. It's not just a one-off. It's, you know, everybody can have a bad day. Everybody can have a bad week, a bad month, and hell, all of us have had a pretty bad year. So, you know, you got to, you got to, you know, life has a lot of give and take here. There's a lot of factors to take into account. It's not just a, oh, they were really mean to me or they manipulated me this one time or this bad thing happened and I don't know that I can ever trust the person again. I get it. You have to evaluate the circumstances of your situation with that individual and not allow me to just tell you broadly, oh, well, if they're toxic, get rid of them. Um, but if they are, and they're and you and you have done that, like you mentioned here, Nick, and now you're waiting for them to make up for their bad behavior, yeah, you're going to be waiting probably forever. I would not wait for something like that. Um, you're not going to get satisfaction by waiting for an abusive personality to try to make up the damage with you. That's just not realistic. Best to just kind of if you do cut it, you cut it and you move on. And you learn from the experience and you try to not repeat that mistake by learning about the signs and symptoms of how it happened in the first place. So uh, that's the best general advice I can give on that, Nick. I hope that's a helpful answer for you on that. Um, oh, yeah. Scientology and Nexium. Are, okay, ex-Scientologist asks, are me and Melissa getting out these days, walks, etc.? Yes, as a matter of fact, we took a very nice walk yesterday, and um, we are trying to get out for walks every day. It's just a little chilly sometimes. Uh, thank you for asking. Let's see here. Um, oh, sends. Okay, now I'm hearing something. Sounds like a... Oh, Bert. Okay, Bert Pineapple asks here. Super chat. Thank you, Bert. Um, <laughs> I seem to remember your LRH impersonation being pretty good. Have you considered voicing some of Hubbard's crackly old lectures? You could do an analysis afterwards or during. Yeah, I've always tried to put up, um, I, I, I have had a little bit of fun impersonating Hubbard's voice, but I, you know, I, I only, uh, only do that when the voice takes me. I have not considered doing, um reading Hubbard's uh, lectures that way. I've always preferred uh, actually clipping them from the lectures if I can, because I love it when you guys can actually hear the old man talking and rambling. Um, it's really something. It's really something. You know, one of the most remarkable things that I, the one of the most thoughts that I keep having this year in my recovery from Scientology or, or having gotten to the place where I'm at now is I look back and just cannot believe I used to believe some of this stuff. And, uh, and then I used to think that L. Ron Hubbard knew what he was talking about. It's really quite embarrassing in many ways. Um, okay. And, oh, a couple of great other super chats. Thank you, NC and Laurence. Thank you for those. NC says, for the listener who asked about reading cult literature, do not expose your personal information to the cult. Chris, do you agree this is important? Oh, my God, yes. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, because that is actually very, very important. Um, it, I was looking at, you know, when you asked about reading their publications, I was thinking, you know, Dianetics or uh, promotional literature or something like that. But if you go into any of these groups or get connected with them, even online, use burner emails, use burner, you know, do not give them your actual phone number ever. Do not give them your real address and probably don't give them your real name because they will skip trace you and they will find you. 
and they will keep sending you literature and getting off of, let's say, Scientology, for example. I'm talking about all these groups, but with Scientology specifically, getting off of their mailing list is like it is running a gauntlet. It is. I get pe- I get emails all the time from people desperate for like advice on how to get off Scientology's mailing lists. So, uh, yeah, th- thank you for bringing that up. I should have stressed that. And uh, Laurence, I uh, hope your semester is going well. So far, so good, Laurence. Thank you very much for that. All right, let's see. Go back up here, see if I missed any other questions. There's Bert's. Um, there's the wall. Okay, good. Da, 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 da. Clearing grammar words is hard. How many definitions are there for B? Tell me about it. In fact, one of the things that actually helped a lot with that was in Scientology, there's a course called the Key to Life course, and it's pretty dead at this point, but, um, and it wasn't Hubbard's books, even though it was, it was compiled by Sea uh, Org members and uh, at Hubbard's direction, but they put a grammar book together, and they also put a small common words book together of all the small common words of the English language. B, R, is, the, there, all three versions of there, um, could, would, should, all those words defined in simple terms, um, simple definitions, uh, depend, independent even of parts of speech. The definitions are just simple definitions that you can go through and read and get the different senses for each of the small common words. And, I, you know, I don't have a problem with that book. It was, uh, it was, uh, it helped clarify a lot of those words for me. And it was, and one of the things I did in Scientology is I did that Key to Life course where I had to go through every definition of every small common word in the English language and get them cleared up using those uh, using those books and then going through a grammar book that Scientology put together that explains grammar at a pretty simple and accurate level. It was I really don't have any problem with either of those books. Um, you know, I have a problem with Scientology and I have a problem with Scientology's teaching methods, but those materials, I, I, I'd, I'd say they were all right. All right. Um, be all you can be. That's right. Okay. Nobody can outcrack Hubbard. Okay. Uh, let's see here as we carry on. And if, again, if I miss anything, just uh, at me here in the comments as I go down the line. Um, okay. Got in cold. I don't know if PTSD or that was symptom free. I think we're off my Fifth Invader Force will never die. That is correct. Yeah, don't disconnect from me. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, okay. Here's a question. Ex-Scientology asks, was the Orange County Org a mission to start with? I think I visited there a couple times as part of my duties in the late 70s in Tustin. Yes. Uh, the Orange County Org was in Tustin, and it was a mission first, and then it became, it was converted to an org along with all of the uh, missions. San Diego, Santa Barbara, Pasadena, Orange County, um, let's see, Stevens Creek, um, uh, Los Gatos, um, well, all of those for sure were missions that became that were converted into orcs in the uh, early '80s. So yeah, that's uh, so you you remembered that right. Um, cool. You are welcome, Shimoda. All right, and let's see here. Or Shimola, Shimola, Shimoda, Shimoda. Yeah. Okay. Good. I was tempted a few times. Okay, I think I've gotten down to the getting to the bottom here. Not sure if this is really a question. Just watched the documentary, The Family. Have you seen or heard about this one? No, I have not seen that documentary about the family in Australia. I saw the documentary on the family. That is the religious uh, political group uh, in Washington D.C. and in here in the United States. Didn't they ban Scientology in the UK? No, they did not. They banned Scientology in Australia in the late 60s. That was overturned by the Australian Supreme Court. And um, probably properly so, uh, banning Scientology is not how to get rid of it. Um, Did you hear from LRH's great-grandson now and then? Um, 
I have heard from uh, Hubbard's grandson um, a couple times. Okay. Let's see here. Yes. Uh, here's my question. Ah, Steve. Okay, here's your question. When LRH was telling people that he was in space on the Van Allen belt, where he told people that his was surprisingly warm, so has anyone ever asked him how he knows that? Um, well, here's, I mean, the way that people assume in Scientology that Hubbard knew that is because he had exteriorized from his body as a, as a spiritual entity, and he had gone up there and, and poked around. Scientologists, especially high-level Scientologists, believe that this is possible. This is an ability that you gain as a Scientologist, is you can exteriorize, pop out, flit off somewhere else, perceive... Not just not just sight, but sound, smell, taste, whatever perceptions you want. As a spiritual being, you have the access to the full range of perception that a human body can experience. And you really should have uh, access to a whole bunch of other perceptions, too. You should be able, as a spiritual entity, to perceive magnetic fields, um, infrared spectrum, you know, there really isn't any sort of uh, anything in the electromagnetic spectrum that you shouldn't be able to directly perceive as a spiritual being, as a thetan. And uh, that's actually part of how they get you on the superpower thing, is, there, is they, get, they get a bunch of money out of you to have you go to Clearwater and tune up your perceptions of your density, your body density, or your gastric position or your uh, gravity fields or all these other things, saline content of your skin, right? Uh, these are all things that you're supposed to be able to perceive. So, um, so Hubbard perceiving how the temperatures were in the Van Allen, Van Allen belt or whatever um, is just another, another uh, you know, it's just another piece of nonsense from Hubbard. But Scientologists literally do believe that that is true. They don't take it as metaphor. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Having a good time here today with this. I hope you guys are too. Um, okay, when are you doing a Three Apostates episode? Well, here's the thing. Okay, I guess I'll just make sure all you guys know this. So Lloyd and I had a bit of a falling out, and I'm not, and Lloyd's great. I love Lloyd, and I really wish that hadn't happened. It was not on my end that we had that falling out, and I really wish that had not occurred, but it did. And so um, I am trying to put together a new three apostates and, um, you know, Jonathan's down to do more episodes, but I would like to find a former Muslim, which is why I was also mentioning that earlier here in this episode. So that's kind of what's happening with that. So we're not going to have another three apostates in the format that we had it in in the past. And um, I've just been really too busy to de dedicate a ton of time to putting that back together. But excuse me, but um, but I hope in the future to be able to do something along those same lines or with that same formatting. Okay, so Shimoda asks, uh, is it true that one of LRH's sons was in some videos of his lectures but was then cut or edited out Stalin style after he fell out of favor? Heard that somewhere. Um, okay, I do not know if one of LRH's kids, I, I think Arthur might have been featured in an assist lecture or something at some point, um, but I don't remember other ones of Hubbard's kids specifically being in lectures. If it, I mean, maybe that's a pat, you know, piece of minutia I just kind of forgotten about if I knew about it. Um, it, you know, editing of the lectures has definitely occurred in, in quite a bit of, of editing, actually. But as far as one of Hubbard's kids being edited out, I couldn't I couldn't say for sure one way or the other on that. Um, okay, ex-Scientologists, are those grammar books available online? I have not found the new, it, the, the, the book is called The New Grammar. It's got L. Ron Hubbard's name on it, but L. Ron Hubbard did not write it. And um, I do not believe it's available online. If you can find it online, I'd love to get an online copy of it, but I don't have one. And um, uh, so, no, I have not seen those um, online there. Jonathan Perry asks, what do you think Miscavige does all day? Whatever he wants. 
I don't know. The guy could be doing anything. Um, I don't mean to blow that question off, Jonathan. It's just, it's too, you know, conjectural. I, I have no idea. Okay, let's see. Outer limits, architects of fear. Call it fate. <laughs> That's a funny comment, ex-Scientologist. Fun fact I'll share with everybody here. Oh, I, my goodness. I have not even been showing the comments on the screen. Let's get them up there. Sorry about that, guys. We're already so far into the episode, but at least we'll get the comments up there now. Um, the Architects of Fear. Okay, in Season 1, Episode 3 of Outer Limits, The Architects of Fear was the title of the episode. Scientists decide to surgically alter one of themselves into an alien they called a Thetan to convince the Earth of an alien invasion. Okay, yeah, I gotta look that up now. That is awesome. That's too much. Um, isn't the family the group River and Joaquin Phoenix belong to? Oh yeah, there was a group they were part of. That might have been the family, or it might have been um, Twelve Tribes. I don't know if they were in the family. Yeah, I can't remember which group they were part of. Okay, uh, let's see here. Did LRH ever have quote unquote affairs? Tim asks, yes, Hubbard was a serial philanderer. Uh, he, was, he was famous for it, uh, especially in the 50s. Um, okay, thank you, Shimoda. Uh, okay, good. And Steve also asks here, my question is, as Scientology is a science as opposed to belief, where's the proof? Science by definition is provable, is it not? I've never seen any kind of proof of this at all, have you? Okay, Steve, so here is where the key LRH datum about what's true for you is true comes into play, okay? It's a subjective truth that they're trying to convince you of. And this is why I say that the appeal to emotion is such an important part of this process, is because you, you are brought to believe the truth of Scientology because you're presented with information in such a way that it's easy to agree with and easy to see that this principle applies and is usable, like the ARC triangle. Oh, you mean if I communicate with other people, I'm able to be more in empathy and affinity with them, and that raises our reality or agreement level, and therefore we understand each other better? Wow, that sounds so amazing. What a great way to explain that. Of course that's true. It's that, you know, that's how, that's the proof. Where's the proof? Well, go talk to somebody, and, and, and you'll find that if you do that, you're raising the communication, raises the affinity, raises the reality, raises the understanding, and therefore it's true right? There's the proof. It's empirical. You did it. So there it is. It's true. And this is, this is how proof is offered in Scientology is through anecdotes, through, through simple explanations of, of very simple principles. And then you buy into it and go, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. That's always true. And you're not presented with an opportunity to ask or think or consider, well, how is this information not true? Where does it not fit? Where does it not work? You're only being given how it works and it being told over and over again, remember, by everybody around in the group, how wonderful, true, incredible, amazing, and awesome all of this information is. Okay, so there you go. Nibs, yes. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Nibs got edited out. He walked across the camera. Could well be. And if so... News to me, but uh, but definitely could be. When is <laughs> Brandon? When is Kirstie Alley gonna do a Scientology master class? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Okay. Um, is that it? Right. That's right. You guys are great with these comments. These are awesome. All right. I think I've caught up on all the questions. If you guys got uh, got any others at me, throw them to me now because we are. Uh, we are coming along the line here. It's been fun so far. It's been interesting. Oh boy, yeah. Um, okay, Taz asks, would you consider looking into transgenderism? Gender ideology is becoming very cult-like. Um, 
I'm not going to be looking into that anytime soon. I'll just be straight up uh, with you on that. I believe that the science is still too new on that whole topic and that there is a lot of sort out that needs to be done still. And uh, yes, there is an incredible amount of bias in the social sciences about this. You cannot discuss it objectively in most academic circles. That is very troubling to me. That is how I see it. And um, I understand that there are people who are very, 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 very strongly opinionated about how the science that is pro or positive uh, transgenderism is the science, the only science that counts, and there can't be any other word about it. And of course, you know what I think about people who present black and white thinking that way, or it's my way or the highway kind of thinking, and that's what I see coming out of that camp. It disturbs me that that is that way. But at the same time, I fully, fully, fully support anybody's individual right to decide who and what their own identity is or should be. So, you know, at the at the end of the day, I'm all about the human rights of the, of the issue, and I will always support that. But as far as the cult-like aspect of it, I think it's a difficult topic to discuss rationally or objectively. Um, I've already made the mistake of trying to dive into politics on uh, cult thinking and look at how the last four years has gone on that line. So anyway, that's what I have to say about that. So thank you for asking about that, though. Um, uh, okay, Nick Bravo asks, I heard Hubbard was involved with Jack Parsons who was involved in occultism. Was Hubbard considered a channeler, and did he do weird rituals? Excuse me, yes and yes uh, to both of those questions. Uh, Jack Parsons was involved in the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, which was uh, Aleister Crowley's group, and Jack Parsons was uh, the leader of the largest group of Crowley's followers here in the United States in the mid-late uh, 1940s. L. Ron Hubbard became part of that did engage in blood magic rituals with Jack Parsons and uh, absconded with his girlfriend and a lot of the ideas of Scientology and the basic structure of the bridge or the grade charter or the levels of indoctrination are built on OTO teachings, which are themselves built on and borrowed from uh, Freemasonry and Madame Blavatsky's work, and there are, and I've done whole podcasts on this work, which are infinitely fascinating, and I hope you will check those out. Just, just look up on my channel anything about the OTO uh, or the occult, and you will come up with that stuff. Okay, uh, let's see here. Uh, Laurence asks, uh, what would you suggest are the best ways to study cults slash high control groups at school? Psychology, sociology, I guess it also depends on how you want to approach it. Well, that's exactly right. Um, because um, cultic or high control group activities are sociological and psychological, and they, they, they cr it, it crosses both um, subject matters, and it also affects lots of different spaces, from domestic violence to um, terrorism to honor-based violence, family-based violence, right, to online cultic activity to terrorism and radicalization and, and violence and gangs. So, so there's a lot of territory being covered by this subject. I would stress psychology first, though, and if, if I was going to go into you know one or the other, because that's where the the first fundamentals of of coercive control and and high control activity are, are sort of covered. But it's very much tied in with sociology of it, too. So you kind of have to pick your battle as to what space you want to go into and approach it from. Okay. Um, okay, so... <laughs> All right, Steve asks... Uh, the main lawyer for Scientology is Monique Yingling, who is not a Scientologist, yet she has often been on TV representing them with vague answers. How does she sleep at night knowing what she knows? Um, I don't know, Steve, because she has no moral compass and money is what satisfies her or power influence or whatever. I, you know, there are people who seem to operate on a very, very different worldview than I do. And I have not been able to get myself into that headspace very easily. It's been easier for me to understand serial killers and cult leaders than it is for me to understand their enablers. 
And the lawyers and private investigators who work for people like the Church of Scientology are people whose headspace I have never really been able to get into. It, it really does boggle me uh, that people will put aside their their morality to such an extent that they will work for groups like Scientology. So I don't know, man, uh, but that's what I can say about it. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly, SEZ. Uh, okay. Okay, here's a question. Did Charlie Wakely react to my offer to chat at all in any way, email, comment, etc.? Uh, yeah, he said to email him in, in one of his, um, Charlie Wakely is a Scientologist who works at the Church of Scientology of London. He has a YouTube channel. He puts up content and he goes out and does seminars and teaching and stuff like that. I was reading about him today on Tony's blog and I reached out to him and said, Hey man, why don't you come on my channel? And he answered me and said, uh, to message, to email him. So I did. And I never heard back. So, Charlie, the offer still stands. If you don't want to be a little Scientology coward, come on my channel and let's have a chat. Okay. Uh, we uh, really have terrible. Yes, thank you, Shimoda, for that. Um, okay, Brendan asks, do OT levels have a curriculum or course structure, i.e., how much reading is required at each level? Well, okay, Brendan, um, yes, the OT levels are very structured, very formalized activities. In fact, they are called the advanced courses. And they are, like, they are delivered in a course room first where you learn how to do the procedure of the solo auditing that you're going to do on the level because OTs 1, 2, and 3 and um, 7 are solo. Oh, and 8? No, and 7 are solo audited. Um, oh, yeah, so is 8. So you go in and you do the class work, and there's a lot of reading, and OT2 has about 90 hours of coursework. I don't remember the numbers on the other ones, but they are shorter. OT2 is the big one. OT3 has, of course, the whole Xenu story. OT4 is audited. You just sit and get audited, and same with OT5. OT6 is a, is a whole OT level that is just a course of how to audit OT7, how to solo audit yourself on OT7, and then you go home and audit every day for years and get through OT7. So that's kind of how that works. Um, okay, there we go on that. You are welcome, guys, on that three apostates thing. Uh, Ex-Scientologist, question, what's your fondest memory of being in the Sea Org? San Diego. I think San Diego, that time period. I went for three weeks and rallied the org, got everybody going. Everybody was all pumped, and we were recruiting new auditors, and we were building the place up, and we were making it a lot of fun. It was kind of fun. Everybody was really, really pumped and really excited, and and it was sort of the spirit and the, and the uh, of what we thought Scientology was really supposed to be about. And that's probably the, the fondest memory I have of my time there. Nick Bravo asks, uh, will there be another coup within Scientology once Miscavige becomes too old to run it? Will it be run the same way since it's about money and power for them? Possible. It's very, very likely that that could be a uh, future possibility for Scientology. It all depends on how Miscavige exits the stage. Uh, if he exits stage left, you know, and goes to prison, that's one scenario. If he dies, that's exit stage right. Maybe that's a different scenario. If he takes off with the money and disappears one day, that's exit, you know, stage center. I don't know. I mean, there's different possibilities for each possibility there. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's, there could easily be another coup. There could be all kinds of things that could go on there. Um, I'm just really suck at predictions. <laughs> uh, okay, SEZ question. An acquaintance of mine is trying to recruit some of my friends into Landmark via social media, and it is working. I am sorry to hear that. What's the best comprehensive resource I can link to? Already did your interview. Yeah. If you could, I mean, I don't know specifically with Landmark, but if you could find other testimonials or uh, interviews with former members and just present it like, look, 
you know, you guys are looking at the positives of this, and I really see that you're really excited about that, and that's great. Um, don't you agree that maybe looking at both sides before jumping in with both feet and spending a bunch of money is a good idea? And there are people who have done this who didn't really have great things to say. So I get that you're hyped up and I don't want to hear anything negative about this. But at the same time, I'm your friend. I care. And if, you know, and if this friendship means anything, then maybe you'll take some time to listen to what I have to say, too. You know, careful with the leveraging there because, of course, you don't want to blow the friendship or, you know, or or you or try to manipulate them. But you do want them to look at the information you want them to to see. So however you can best communicate them to get them to look at that, I would look for former member testimonials maybe as the next line uh, to go after rather than trying to give them cult data or look it's a cult you know rah, rah, rah. it's like okay maybe maybe dial it back a little bit something they are willing to look at or accept or hear or listen to and i don't know try that out see if that uh helps um that's the best general advice i can give okay taz asks will scientology be around forever or could it eventually have an end um no it could definitely end all things do and it will eventually but uh you know ideas that propagate as long as scientology has die a very very slow death so it's going to be around for a good long time as a set of ideas as a church organization we'll have to see um <laughs> Steve, Steve, uh, Steve Wood says, uh, oh, thank you, Sens. I think you're blessing me. Thank you. I, I hope. Anyway, Steve says, please explain how running around a pole in flag helps anyone. Seems nuts to me, but so does much of Scientology. Steve, I don't know how to tell you how that uh, helps anyone. The idea. Oh, uh, I got a super chat there. Sorry, I missed that. I will get to that in just a second. Um, you know, Steve, I think. It would probably help. It's a difficult thing to do this. I still marvel at it every single day of my existence, and I am deep in the study of this stuff. This is my world, right? I am surrounded by this stuff all day, every day, and I still find myself marveling at the 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 depths or nonsense uh that people can fall for but we but there's a but what's made it a lot easier for me and maybe would make it easier for you steve and for other people out there is that you know there are there is nothing there is no belief set you can imagine that someone can't believe that there's there is somebody out there who will believe anything um if we can imagine it, if we can think it, we can believe it. That's how it works. And there isn't any idea too crazy. There isn't any scheme too convoluted. There isn't uh, any puzzle too difficult. There isn't any uh, God too horrible or awful for someone to worship fervently, fall in love with, believe in with all of their you know, existence. Uh, that's just how people are. They have emotional needs, and if a belief set fulfills their emotional needs, fulfills their worldview, confirms that things are the way they need them to be in order for the world to make sense to them, then they're going to believe it, and it's really that simple. Um, Tara Dalton, thank you for your super chat. Why haven't Scientology ever been charged with stalking or extortion? I mean, when you write a KO, isn't that a threat and a form of extortion? Um, okay, I think a KR, a KO, do you mean a KR, a knowledge report? Well, regardless, why haven't they ever been charged with stalking or extortion? Well, they have, cases have been brought of that, but they have gotten religious exemption. It is extremely difficult as a religious organization to, to prosecute a religious organization that you have been part of, um, you know, as a member, former member. Uh, it is difficult because uh, groups like to retain their members. They want to encourage you to be part of it. They want to, you know, you have freedom of movement in this country. You have freedom of speech in this country. And these rights are utilized in a corrupt way by these organizations in order to stalk and harass. But when you bring it into a legal arena, you find that this is actually protected activity under the First Amendment and under freedom of movement. So, 
So it becomes very difficult to prosecute. It just, it, you know, strategically, it's difficult. And the people who have been bringing cases against Scientology have not brought their A-game to this. And that's one and one of the reasons why it's been difficult. I've already recorded a podcast actually breaking down a bunch of this with a lawyer friend of mine. And that'll probably post in the next week or two. And then you guys will get a more thorough breakdown of what I'm sort of alluding to or talking about here with this. So thank you for that question, Tara. And there will be more on that on this channel. But that's the summary answer that I think makes the most sense for you right now. Um. Yeah, exactly, Shimoda. You got the point. Um, shouldn't matter if you're a Christian or a Scientologist. No, it does. See, I want you to check out the First Amendment and religious protections and what courts do when it comes to people practicing their religion. Because this gets, it's a borderline sort of thing. You wouldn't think it would be. You'd think that this would be easy to separate out, but it, it's not. And if you look into Marty Rathman's case, you'll see the direction they were taking that was actually a very good legal case that was being brought correctly. Ray Jeffries did a really good job with that. But he got cut off at the knees by his own clients. So check out the specifics of how Marty Rathman's case was proceeding in civil court, and you'll see how that was successfully being done. But it got, but Scientology um, managed to uh, mess it up and corrupt the case anyway. Okay, um, let's sort of move toward wrapping up here. Yeah. Okay, any insights from my online course? Uh, well, a lot of what I've been talking about today actually is informed by what I've been learning lately, especially about the nature of belief and about, um, you know, terrorism and radicalization. Um, and if you, and I like breaking down that stuff on my uh, Critical Conversation show also. So, but um, in terms of insights, um, probably the best one I can think of right now or the one that comes to mind straight away is that coercive control is a, remember, a repeating pattern of behavior, and it involves isolation, manipulation, and control. So if you, you know, so, so watch who's trying to isolate you. Watch who's trying to manipulate you. And if it's a repeating pattern of behavior, you, you got somebody you need to keep your eye on in your vicinity. So that's some advice I can give on that one. Um... Okay, and then let's do this last question from Nick, and we will wrap it up. Seems like atheism slash nihilism are joined at the hip. Wouldn't this be the only life one has make one's life more meaningful rather than less? How does one make atheism an inspiring message? That, Nick, that what you just said is exactly how we have tried to do it. It is difficult to be inspiring when you feel like you're going to end and there is no more. But that's all the more reason why every moment of our life matters and should count for something and why it is that we don't need to be frantic. We don't need to be anxious or upset about this, but we need to be factual about it. And our existence or time here is limited. Um, whether we have a spiritual existence or not, the time that we have here is the time that we have. And so um, I think for me, there is a, a, a fear of death and a nihilism that overtakes me from time to time about this. And it is rough. And I do get why it, people would have take comfort in spiritual beliefs. But for me, I take comfort in my relationships. I take comfort in existence, in the physicality of existence, of, of being able to just look around and wonder at the sunset or, uh, you know, or what, taking a walk with my wife and seeing the life that is going on all around us all the time and just admiring it for what it is, for the random chaos of it and the random beauty of it, you know, of, of the day, of, of the life that we have and, the, and the, the fact that everything in this universe had to happen in order for you to be right where you are right this moment right now like wow everything you know not to get on a big ego trip because it's not like that but but kind of you know but at the same time kind of and that that's what inspires me that's what keeps me going and and keeps me uh in the wonder of it is is the wonder of it so so that's what i find inspiring and i hope that i don't know hope that helps a little bit and of course yes we could be living in a multiverse or this is the one that really gets me going is what if this is all a simulation 
And not necessarily Matrix style, but there could be lots and lots of scenarios where we could be living in a simulation right now, and it could be a good thing. So anyway, fun stuff, fun stuff to think of and consider, guys. Thank you very much for all of your contributions, guys. You are awesome. Um, and thank you very, very much for the super chats. I really appreciate the support, guys. Seriously so. If you are finding my content enjoyable, entertaining, informative, educational, then consider joining me on Patreon, as I am uh, always uh, like to say at the end of these things. All right, guys, let's wrap up. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.